This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, joined as I am each and every week, thankfully, by the one and only member of the Glory Kickboxing Hall of Fame. It's, you know, one of one. If you were an NFT, Joe, the amount What's of value it? you'd have, the amount of Ethereum that you would demand would be very high. Yeah, I know. That's that's what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to stay one as one for now. And until uh, Glory announces a second one, I'm going to keep riding this for as long as I can. But even even 10 years from now, I'll still be the first. So I'm going to keep enjoying it. That's true. That cannot be taken away from you unless you get into some sort no. of scandal and they pull you from the Hall of Fame. So just just keep it clean, Joe. Just keep yeah, clean. that's it. I just got to keep my mind on here and I can't do anything really stupid. But uh, who knows? You but uh, a little so bit far, stupid, so good. But just not not terribly stupid that they would take you out of the Hall of Fame. Yeah, good idea. Good point. Like petty crime vandalism? You could probably get away with that. Yeah, I can spray paint bazooka around Holland somewhere or something like yeah. that. Or it could be fine. Bazooka, hashtag bazooka HOF. Just yeah, spray boom. Paint it everywhere. Yeah, hashtag boom. I like it. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to give you more of a ringing endorsement. Because on Saturday afternoon, before this past weekend's event started, I went to bazookatraining.com. And what Ooh. I did was I watched a couple of the videos that you have there for free because I was curious to see what it looked like. And I, was, and I know yeah. I said that I was subscribed and I've, I'm a bad friend for not doing so yet. But uh, I went and watched the free videos. And one of the videos that you had was in, re was in regards to um, throwing combos, being within the T, and keeping yeah. yourself out of danger. And then when you're putting yourself in danger, knowing what you're doing and, and when to withdraw. And then yeah. I watched Calvin Cater that same night basically implement that exact theory and game plan that you had on your website in practice. And I watched the, the countless fighters that night, but, but Calvin Cater, I think, was the prime example of that. Watching him uh, pressure, which is, of course, another Bazooka mm -hmm. Joe MO when it comes to a, more of a karate-based striker, or Gigas, I guess, is more of a Taekwondo style. What's I think style? it's actually karate. Yeah, karate I think style. it's some sort of so karate style. You, yep. You're often talking about pressuring karate-style fighters, and that's what Calvin mm -hmm. Cater was doing for five straight rounds. But he was also kind of implementing the same kind of footwork that you show on your website. So I just I thought that it was very educational for me to go and watch that and then just see it in practice that same night. Yeah, that's nice to hear. I mean, a lot of times, I mean, people see the drill, but then they don't see it in application. They don't think that way. So for you to see that, that's really good. I mean, uh, that little bit of stepping in, stepping out. I mean, even Kelvin's pressure. That's why I picked, I mean, Giga's a friend of mine as well, but I had to pick Kelvin actually winning because his pressure, his ability uh, to kind of switch stances, his stance switching was phenomenal that night to be able to keep that pressure going on. That's using shifting. We also have that on the site. How to shift with pressure. Like you can get everything. You can be a world champion just coming on the site. But uh, I was I was very impressed with Kelvin on this weekend. And I think his pressure his his Boston mentality of toughness. I think it's uh, it was just a nice fight for him to come back to. Another nuance I noticed were the feints when he was in that in the tee. He was throwing a lot of different feints to throw Giga off of his rhythm. And uh, again, just stuff that I noticed from your site that Beautiful. is interesting to see fighters use in application that same day. It was just it was really fresh in my mind, and I was like, wow, I was noticing a lot. So I almost want to subscribe to your site just to like learn about those fundamentals and just watch them in application because I, I felt like I was a sponge that day just learning all of this information from you and seeing it in practicum. Well, look at you training. I mean, you got your mental reps in. I mean, between your studying of the rule book and now of learning martial arts, you're going to be the master of journalism. I like it. 
Well, to be a master of journalism, I would probably have to take a, a master's program in journalism. But I, I well, think you I have understand journalism what you're saying. skills. You, you need the, <laughs> the the background knowledge. You know, you need that the mastery of the skills, and there you're getting it. Well, I'm open to any sort of honorary degree that any university, if they're listening right now, wants to give me. I'm I'm open to that. I, an honorary an honorary degree is the best kind you can get. Cause you don't have to do the work. You just have to. They, you just show up at like a graduation and give a speech. Yeah, but they say the most successful a lot of times are like, look at all the richest businessmen. They never went to business school a lot of times. They learn as they go. So you're learning on the job. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's just, it's it's something I should be doing more is, is looking at the, you know, I have trained in the past, but I think that my kind of basic training that I had doesn't really compare to watching a champion like yourself really lay it out in a way that I think is very simple for people to understand. So again, I would recommend you go to bazookatraining.com and it's not just for a free plug for Joe, but because uh, just watching even those free videos, you can learn a lot of what's going on in the cage beyond what you're seeing uh, with, I guess, new eyes. Yeah, and I think if anything too, I mean, speaking with you, it's like you don't have enough time to train all many hours. So for you, it's kind of nice just to learn and hear the voices, the terminology. And I think if anything, it's going to help you out a lot. So yeah, I appreciate I the plug. Time. I do not. Have, I have three kids and I'm chasing them around all day and uh, shoveling snow uh, because as you've seen, it's been uh, a pretty uh, dreadful snowstorm here uh, in Toronto. But, uh, you know, getting exercise in that regard. But the, the, the cater Jakadze fight, a fantastic fight. And uh, Calvin Cater just showing why he is great. You know, I, I did give Giga the second round and I, I should go back and watch it and see if I felt the same way um the reason why and it's one of those things where this and and it really did prove to me that the second half of a round are so much fresher in the judges eyes when they're scoring a fight in the first half because if you watch the first half of that second round Giga was hitting Cater with all kinds of big shots Mm -hmm. so Cater had to do enough work to kind of get that all back and I felt like he was just short of it but again it's just a round either way. It's every, every judge gave all five rounds to uh, Calvin Cater, but I just thought the second round, Giga did some particularly good work. So I'm going to have to go back and kind of watch and see if, uh, if I still feel the same way watching it back. Yeah, I mean, the thing too, what I was noticing in, in the early parts of the fight, when Giga kicked or, you know, did the striking, it was doing damage. And it looked like it was landing harder. It was doing more of that damage we keep talking about. So, like, I can see easily why that would be a factor. But I think Kelvin's constant pressure and him going for those takedowns and... I just think it was so well executed and it takes a special person to be able to pressure Giga like that. You have to think like Kelvin coming forward and eating some big shots is scary. And even everyone, I heard a few people say, oh, I don't know if something wrong was with with Kelvin. He wasn't throwing his right hand so much. I'm like, yeah, he doesn't want to throw that because Giga's best kick is the left kick. As soon as you go to throw that cross, you're 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 exposing the kick. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're, you're exposing the liver. So I think if anything, it was just waiting for the right timing to drop that rear hand. But what impressed me most with Calvin, I think, was the stance switching. The way he pressured with the stance switching, keeping the jab going. And I think what he learned from his fight with Holloway is don't try to overthrow your punches a lot of time. Just keep that constant touching, that pressure. Don't overthrow things because it's going to be a long fight. And his volume, his pressure was just really perfect for him that night. There's been a lot of revisionist history this week, too, where people are saying, oh, everybody was writing Calvin off. Everybody's saying was Giga should get a title shot. Nobody was saying Giga should get a title shot without having to beat Calvin Cater first. Yeah, so let's yeah. just make that clear, because I was one of the people that said, if Giga beats Calvin Cater, he warrants getting a title shot. He'd be 8-0 in the UFC with a win over Calvin Cater, and a win over Cal- and Edson Barboza, but a win over Calvin Cater is a big deal. 
So to say that, oh, everybody was writing Calvin off, it wasn't that we were writing Calvin off or anybody was writing Calvin off. And if Calvin obviously beating Giga, people are already asking Calvin, would you want to be a reserve for that fight between Volkanovski and, and the Korean Zombie? But the reason why Cater's resume isn't standing up right now is because he was coming off a loss. He was coming off a loss and he's 1-1 one one in his last two. And usually you don't get a title shot off of that. But with Giga, again, it was a big if to beat Calvin Cater over five rounds or to finish Calvin Cater, which nobody's done before, uh, I guess, since before he was in the UFC. I think he was submitted once prior to being in the UFC, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that's a big deal. And that's why people were saying Giga should be considered to get a title shot. That if you're going to have the fight in April, and it's January, see what happens. See how it plays out. Because if he ends up getting a first-round finish on Calvin Cater, that's hugely impressive. But nobody was saying, oh, pull him from the Cater fight and give him a title shot or, or anointing him. as the... He had to beat Calvin Cater first. That's all I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. I think there was a little too much talk about Giga fighting for a title pre-fight, to be honest. I think um, he was... I think even the odds makers and a lot of people, I don't understand why Kelvin was such an underdog. I mean, he was at plus 180 on a lot of places. He was I mean, even higher. Like, I saw he was as high as plus two, 200 at some point in the week. Like, I don't understand. All the questions were about Giga getting the title shot. It's about him being the favorite. I think people expected him to, to walk through Kelvin. And I mean, um, I just think it was crazy um, talk from him. He's... I to me personally, I mean, yes, you're coming off a seven uh, fight win streak, but Giga to me seemed a little too confident going into this. I feel. I mean, I think uh, if anything, it's going to make him realize that I know he's putting the work in, but it's just taking to take that little bit more work and 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 having the ability to adapt. Now everyone knows you don't like pressure, so they're going to keep that pressure on you. So I think it's him maybe wrestling a little bit more, getting his boxing flowing a bit, but. Uh, Giga's a, a, an amazing martial artist, and I think, if anything, it's going to be like what happened to Kelvin. He's going to come out so much better from this. Well, he was also putting the cart before the horse, right? Like, he was talking about getting a title shot. He was talking about Volkanovski. Yeah, too talking. confident. And, I mean, listen, it's the news cycle. When you're in that division and that kind of stuff pops up and you have a chance to get a title shot, if again, if you beat Calvin Cater, that kind of stuff will stick with you and, and we'll be asked about it all week and all of that, right? So it's just about kind of uh, trying to avoid that narrative. But it's hard to do, right? Because if you feel like you are worthy of a title shot if you got to win that weekend and people are overlooking you, that can kind of hurt you. It can hurt your ego a little bit. Yeah, you want to sell it as best as you can. you got to do what you can to get a title shot. That's the ultimate goal. But uh, to write Kelvin off the way he did, I mean, Roy Jones said it best. Y'all must have forgot how good Kelvin is, man, because uh, he really put a, a big beating on Giggle that night. Well, I was happy with my pick. My pick was the over three and a half rounds because yep. I basically said – um, if Giga doesn't get Calvin out of there in the first two rounds, like this fight's going to go long. Um, and I actually felt like if, if it went into the later rounds, that's where Calvin would have a success and probably win. But I mean, Calvin, it was one way traffic for Calvin, but, uh, yeah, I, I just thought that it was a very volatile fight. Like I thought there were a lot of different outcomes that could have happened, but I thought the most likely outcome was that the fight would go to the distance. And when you get a three and a half, uh, over three and a half, you're basically getting a free round and a half of action for, for it to go to a decision not a free but like the, the price is very price yeah. difference is very minimal it was like plus 109 to go to a to a decision and then like minus 120 to go over three and a half rounds so you it's worth worth the uh giving up the whatever 30 cents on that price in order to take it so i was happy with that and my picks actually did quite well this past week so happy about that as well and i've got some i've got an interesting angle on the uh, ufc 270 main event so why don't we delve into that because ufc All 270 right. is just a couple days away and um, I think that's what's really top of mind for people. But I wanted to make sure we gave Calvin Cater his due at the Heck top of the Heck yeah. Show.
Heck yeah. I mean, I, th- I think it was uh, it was an okay card overall. I think it's just appetizing for this card here. But when looking at this card, and I'm going to be honest, I personally thought it was a little bit more stacked than it actually is. I think just this main event really makes it and the co-main event make it special. But outside of those big two, I mean, I mean, interesting There's fights, but I wouldn't say huge card, names, but not, not, not a lot of huge great. names. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, overall, those two main events uh, and the co-main event, I think, uh, makes up for it all. Yeah, that sells the event for sure. I mean, you have the heavyweight title, you got the flyweight championship. So the, the heaviest weight class and the lightest weight class, uh, one after another. But the trilogy fight between Moreno and Figueredo. And what my fear is... What happens if Figueredo wins this fight? Like, what happens if he wins a decision? Like, we're going to have to see a fourth fight, are we not? Yeah, I would think so. You kind of have to. I think um, we kind of went through a few of these with kickboxing where, like, when you're two at the top of the division, and the flyweight, as we know, is all over the place, right? We don't really have the, a, a solid, consistent 10. We You can fight once and jump in the top 10. So, I mean, these two are... Um, rightfully sitting at the top and when you're just the two best in the division you have to fight each other multiple times uh, which is crazy but uh, yeah I'm, I'm honestly a little torn between this one I think a lot of people think uh, Moreno based on the last fights uh, a minus 180 favorite to me is uh, a little crazy what do you think yeah I think that it's uh, the values on Figueredo I, I'm not personally taking him but I think that if you're going to take a side the value is on the Figueredo side for sure I mean the last two fights were a tale of two fights. I thought that Figueredo clearly won the first fight, but he had a, a point taken away from him. And um, he also had a judge give Moreno the fifth round. If that judge would have given Figueredo the fifth round, it, this might, there might not have even been a rematch. It would have been a moot point. But uh, Moreno looked fantastic in the rematch, blew him out of, blew him out of the water, really. Uh, so I think a lot of people expected that's what's going to happen again. But Figueredo's now training with Henry Cejudo, and he's training with a different camp, and he's looking really good and he was apparently only like eight pounds out from making 125 pounds like early in the week right okay. so he's in tip-top shape so who knows which figurado we're gonna see like how he's gonna look but he is getting older and moreno is still quite young so usually when you're at a younger age like moreno you tend to retain more information going into fights that being said a fight's a fight you don't know how that fighter's gonna show up on that given day so we'll see how it plays out yeah and it was cool that ufc posted a picture of it was kind of like when Moreno first came to the UFC to him now he honestly looked like a 16 year old kid so young and during the UFC mm. like I mean he still looks young now but I'm like how did they let him fight you know <laughs> like you see Chase Cooper and you're like okay you look young but you're taller I mean you're talking about 120 pounds 125 pound kid basically i could not believe how young he looked he looked like he was 16 years old i couldn't believe it mm-hmm. well i love his infectious energy he still has that child childlike energy and he also collects toys and stuff so you know it's yeah. kind of a cool thing and he has a kid himself too right yeah, yeah he, has he has a child right yes we know he has one daughter i can't remember if he has two i think he has i know he has at least one daughter well he found the fountain of youth absolutely and uh, like i'm curious to see when chase hooper is going to start looking older because it doesn't seem like he's, he's aging <laughs> yeah, much helpful. at all either no, I mean, I think these guys kind of have uh, a little bit what I have. I can't, still can't grow facial hair, you know? So I don't think the no facial hair helps us out look a little younger. You can't grow any facial hair? I grow a little bit on my chin. That's about it. That's it. So, like, if you I, just let it grow for, like, three weeks with no shaving, what would it look like? Uh, it'll look like I didn't wash my face. I, I don't think you would even notice that. It would be straggly whiskers. Yeah, it wouldn't well, look like pleasant. like my beard. When I grow a beard, it's still kind of patchy, and I'm, I'm, I'm 40 years old now. And I'm also super hairy, so it's like it's weird. It's just on my it's face weird. it doesn't grow consistently. Yeah, 
What's going on? We'll get we'll go at uh, Turkey one day and we'll go get beer transplants. Okay, well, that's a thing these days. Beer transplants. Beer transplants, really? Well, Apparently, not, Floyd Mayweather got one. Really? I'm not interested yeah. in that. No, I can still grow right. a serviceable beard. Serviceable. All right. Okay. I can't even pretend to. <laughs> yeah. So maybe a goatee when I'm by the time I'm 50. I don't know. That would be a nice goal. Mm, yeah. Why not? See, Joe, you've accomplished a lot in your life already. So to add another goal to the list, I, mean, to I think another, I think yeah, you'll I be able to, to accomplish it. I need goals. Come on. I actually spoke to Francis Ngannou yesterday and I asked him, like, what do you want to accomplish in your life? Like, it seems like you've accomplished all of these things that you set out to accomplish. It's like, do you have, like, long, long-term goals? And he was just, I was asking him kind of tough questions and he was very flummoxed by them because I, I just feel like everybody's asking Francis the same stuff this week and I don't want to ask him all those same yeah. questions. Now, do you, did you try to pick his brain about what he wants to do after this fight? Because I think that's what a lot of the talk is. I didn't, that, because... Because that's what he's expecting, it's you think? not in his hands, right? Like, the UFC is not going to let him box, I don't think. Unless ESPN really pushes, like, we want to do this Tyson Fury thing and it's going to be really cool, maybe. But first off, if, if Francis loses, he's gone. I don't think he's going to be back with the UFC. Okay. He'll be I heard even if he wins, it's probably because it's his last fight on the contract he and he wins, won't renegotiate. No, but if he wins, he get, he's tied into a championship contract. He would have to wait okay. five years before he could leave. I heard it was one year. If he waited out one year, he can get out of so. his contract. I, I think that they would have to keep offering him fights, and if he turns them down, it, it extends the championship contract. As far as I know, but I might be wrong on that. I'm sure. I'm sure it favors the UFC, so I'm sure there's. Uh, yeah, it yeah. benefits them. It weighs more heavily towards them. But mm-hmm. uh, what else did he tell you? What are some good things? Well, I asked them that that video got leaked of him and Cyril gone sparring. I don't know if it got leaked, but they someone put it out, and I said. Is it much easier for Cyril Gaon to look good in training rather like versus you looking good in training? Because I'm sure that when you're training with people, you're not trying to destroy them. And yeah, like, good knock point. Them, I like that, Eric. Like you are in fights. And That's he was like, point. yeah, when I'm sp- – I go, someone's trying to help you in the cage when you're training. And when you're in the cage in competition, they're trying to hurt you. Like it's yeah. two different yeah. dynamics. And he was saying, yeah, like I, he goes, I feel really bad if I hurt somebody in training and I'm trying really hard not to hurt them. And I said like – so to me, I said, Cyril Ghosn is always going to look better in a training environment than you. Do you agree? And he agreed with me. Yeah. And I think it's just their attributes. Like if I, for example, I've, I've sparred people who are very good dynamic movers. Like I've uh, sparred with um, Manel. Um, trying to think. I can't. I don't even know his Manel first Pop? name. No. Um, Bellator fighter. Canadian. Oh, Mandel Nalo. Mandel, Mandel, sorry, Mandel. I was thinking of Cop 2. But yeah, so I've sparred with Mandel where it's like he's so good. And it's like <laughs> the only way I'd be able to stop him is by pressuring him and hitting him hard. You know what I mean? Like you could move and I'm going to have a hard time to hit you. But if I hit you with two hard low kicks, it's a little different game. But if we're sparring and I'm touching your legs, it, it's different. Like I guarantee you Raymond Daniels kills everybody in sparring. Michael Venom Page because they're so elusive. You have to pressure. And when you hit them, you got to hit them hard. That's the game. That's our pressure style. So those types of fighters do well. I can see Surreal dancing really good, moving where Francis is just one hit, right? So you can't really practice that inspiring yeah so, so that's a good point yeah because i think that if you showed an hour of them start like sparring or sparring together training together cyril's gonna look better even of cyril course, back yeah. then when he was still kind yeah. of coming up because the, his style of fighting is way more conducive to a training environment okay so thinking and talking to them i gotta know this before we continue who are you leaning towards Okay, so here this is gonna come out. I on have TSN to hear Edge. because I'm totally off on this. So this is gonna come out on TSN Edge later on. So I wanna, I'm gonna walk you through this. Okay. All right. So 
get ready. If you have $250 to bet on this, let's say you have two, let's Just say you have $300. I'm going to, I'm going to say $300. Okay. If you had $300, this is how I would bet this fight. I bet $150 on Francis Ngannou winning by KO. It's about plus 175. Okay. I bet $100 on Gone by Decision, which is around plus 300. And I bet $25 on Francis wins by second round TKO and $25 on Francis wins by third round TKO. Now, let me walk you through what that all means because I've gone throwing a lot at you here. Yeah, yeah. So if Francis wins by KO, let's say it's first round KO or fourth round KO or whatever. Plus you, 175, you will win. Yeah, you'll win... Um, You'll win $260 on your bet, minus okay. the $150 that you're betting on Gone by Decision and the two round props, the TKO. So you'd be up $110. All right. If Francis wins, if, sorry, if Gone wins by Decision at plus 300, you're winning $300 on that because you bet $100 on it, and then you're mm-hmm. losing $150 on the Francis bets. Oh, sorry, you're losing $200 on the Francis bets. So you have $150 by the KO and then $50 by. The TKO so you're still rounds. up 100. So you're still up 100 bucks. And then if Francis wins in round by second round knockout, you win your um, you win 175 dollars on that bet because it's plus 700. Plus you win the 260 on the Francis by KO bet, minus 125 dollars on losing on Gone and the Francis wins round three TKO. And then finally, if you take if Francis wins by third round TKO. You win $550 on that bet because it's plus $2,100. You win plus an additional $260 on Francis by KO. So now we're at like $810 minus the $125 on the other one. So you're up like $685. So basically you're playing both sides. And what you're hoping yeah. for is the two most likely outcomes, one of which is the Francis TKO at some point in the fight. Yes. And the yeah. other is gone by decision. Because I don't think mm-hmm. Gone is going to get a finish on Francis. We've seen Francis take big shots. We've seen Francis get smothered by Stipe for five rounds. This guy's not an easy out. Yeah. Unless he gets really tired, but Gone's not a submission guy anyways. And right. So, yeah. I mean, the only way you're losing is a Gone finish, basically, or a draw. Is a Gone finish or a or Francis, Francis decision. sub? Francis decision, Francis sub. And a draw, yeah. if you if you want to safeguard the draw, for six bucks, you bet the draw, it's, it's plus 5,000. So you'll get your money back for, yeah. if you want to take draw insurance. But again, I don't see a draw. I, I think that for every 15 fights, sorry, for every strike that Nganu throws, Gon's going to throw 15 strikes. I just think yeah. that that's the, the, the dynamic here. Because Gon's going to want to overwhelm Francis. And he also needs to hit him a lot. Because if Francis lands one big shot in a round that rattles Gon, he'll win that round. Yeah, yeah, but the also problem is too, and with this kind of game too, is if you over hit, it means every time you strike, you're opening something up. So I mean, I think Gone is gonna have to play a little bit more laid back and hold things back too. I'm just worried it might turn into a slower fight mm-hmm. like the Derek Lewis kind of fight because Gone knows Nagano's power, right? He he understands that, and he can't just play in that range too well. And I think what Francis does really well is he crash, he'll hit you in like he'll step in that T-zone we talked about mm-hmm. earlier and crash that distance so hard that it's like Gone won't even be able to exit out and use his footwork. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm so torn between this one, to be honest. I'm that's, very that's torn. Kind of the difference between Lewis and Francis Ngannou in terms of the matchup for Gone, because Derek Lewis is really good at countering, and he's good at setting traps. 
but, but Gon has very, very good fight IQ, so he wasn't falling for any of those traps. Whereas Francis will just, like, if you looked at what he did with Rosenstrike, Rosenstrike hit him with a shot, and he was like, that's not going to happen, and just kind of marched. His coaches were upset with him for doing that, but he marched forward right at Rosenstrike and knocked boom. him out. Yeah, yeah. And his coaches think, were like, if you look at their faces, like Eric Nixick, like, whoa, he just threw like the entire game plan out yeah. the window, but he got the win. Yeah. <laughs> so they're trying to like kind of keep him a little bit calmer. But if he if he presses forwards against Gon, like, I don't think Gon's going to be able to knock him out, right? Like, Gon would have to really hit him with the perfect shot. But Francis isn't afraid, like you mentioned, of entering that T-zone and putting himself in danger to land the big shot. Because if he lands a big shot, it's different than if Gon lands a big shot. Yeah, I think Francis's style is just going to be he'll let Gon try to play those games, touch, move the front kicks, use, hit the low kick. But when Naganu commits, it's that is the scariest moment in Surreal Gon's life. I mean, that when when Francis explodes, I don't think there's many people who could withstand it no matter how good and how technical you are. So I still have my gut leaning Nagano finish, to be honest. I think that crippling power is just something special that he has regardless. Is Gon a better fighter? I would probably say so. He moves better. His footwork is better. His range controls better. He throws better in combinations. He uses legs better. He boxes a little bit more cleaner. But Francis has that power that I can't see many people taking it. Like is, I think someone was saying, one of the journalists was saying, Nagano in the last like so many years is only like three minutes of ring time, uh, cage time compared to Gon, yeah, who's that, that kind of went off. longer that math decisions. Was off, but yeah, it's eight, it's eight minutes. Eight minutes? Yeah, well, I've heard people say three minutes, eight because they're, because they're they're forgetting that the uh, Steve Bay went into the second round. They're looking at it as if it was a first round finish. It but, was the first yeah, round. Yeah, yeah, but still, eight minutes in how many years? Right. Like, that's crazy, yeah. right? I mean, he doesn't have that time, but that's that's what power does for you. So. Part of me thinks just uh, regardless of the outcome, you have to sprinkle some on that Nogano by finish. Right. So this is one of those rare kind of situations where you can kind of play both sides and still come out on top. So that's what I'm recommending for TSN Edge. It's kind of a weird, it's weird to have me kind of pick both sides, but it's more picking outcomes. And I think yeah. that that's the, the part where you can really make good money. Yeah. But if you had to take away this kind of hedge style you're doing, what, what would you pick straight up? My favorite pick that you can make, and it's not offered on all books, is you can bet Francis Ngannou at minus 110, and if it goes to the scorecards, it's a void bet. If you can get that, that's the best bet on the card, in my opinion. But I think that if you're looking for straight value, I think Francis by KO, if you can get it in the plus 150 to plus 175 range, I think that's your best bet. Because, I mean, yeah. we're talking about five rounds of, of gone not getting hit by a big shot, and that's it's tough. It's going to be tough. Yeah, and if you pick gone, you're getting him at minus 155, yeah, so it's not like it's a... Bet. If you're yeah. gonna bet gone, take you'd be, you'd you be have a fool to. not to take the the decision bet if you like him because it's plus three hundred. It's, yeah. it's as high as plus three thirty three in places. Like yeah. I I just you don't see to. him finishing Francis. No, I I don't even know if I've ever seen Francis hurt. Have we? No, not really. Yeah, we've I seen just, him get taken down and exhausted scary. by by yeah. Stipe, but it seems like his wrestling has improved. If you looked at his sprawl defense against Stipe, and I don't think Cyril's gonna be shooting takedowns. Because yeah. when you see guys shoot takedowns on Ngannou, he's been good at telegraphing them recently. Watch the Curtis Blades fight. Watch the Cain Velasquez fight. Yeah, I'd be terrified to grab his legs. One, it's a tree trunk. And two, he hammer fists you. Like, mm -hmm. as soon as you even go for the single, like, he's smacking you with bricks of hands that are massive, you know? Like, those are, like, ranges you don't really want to be in. Like, you almost have to be all in on a double if you're going to think about taking him down. Because a single, he's just going to keep smashing you in the face. And that was the turning point with the Stipe fight. Stipe went to shoot on him. 
Francis sprawled and got his back and started pounding on him. Like, yeah. And I think that's where Stipe was like, okay, well, that that wasn't a good move. And now how am I going to beat this guy, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. His legs and hips are way too big and strong to think you're just going to easily be able to take him down. Like, I don't know. Like, I said it from years ago. I'm like, I he's just too big of a specimen to kind of just bet against him. Yeah, yeah. And I, I would agree with that. I think that it's just it's it's a very difficult proposition to bet against Francis Ngannou. He's just so good. Um and then we look at the co-main event, and uh, my co-main event pick is the same as last weekend's main event, which is just the over three and a half rounds. You can get it at minus 115. I think that this fight yeah, goes I like that. It's a flyweight fight, right? Like, the finishing potential just isn't as high as, as other divisions for the most part. Yeah, over three and a half. That's a great bet to get uh, some positive money out of that. Yeah. So that's, No, it's not. It's just that it's basically a pick you said, right? Minus 110? Minus 115, yeah. So, like, oh, okay. whatever. You not bet. Bad. Yeah, you bet 115 bucks to win 100. Yeah, I'll take that. It's a good bet. I think that's the way to look at that particular fight. I think that it's going to go longer, and I, I don't know how it's... I have no idea how that fight's going to go. It's one of those ones where, like, even though we've seen the fight twice already... Yeah, like, yeah. Because the, I thought the first fight was very lopsided in Figueredo's favor, outside of, of again, the point deduction. And, and Moreno was really pushing him, and Moreno won one or two rounds. But I thought that Figueredo won that fight, if not for the point deduction. And then the second one was just so lopsided for Moreno. Like, Moreno just completely obliterated Figueredo in that fight. And got the submission, right? And got the submission. It was like one-way traffic, yeah. right? So what are we going to see from Figueredo this time around now that he's training with different coaches, different different training partners, training with Henry Cejudo, one of the best in the world, right? So I just think that there's a lot of, uh, a lot of possible outcomes in that fight. But I think that the most likely outcome is that it goes beyond three and a half rounds, especially if you're yeah. to that price. No, I think that's a great bet. I mean, I, I've even heard, I've even seen Moreno. What was it with Shevchenko's camp as well, too? Kind of cross-training a bit? Well, they were both in Vegas, and the, I think they were both at the PI, right? Like it's Oh, it's just something where, like that. Yeah, where it's kind of coincidental. but Because I don't think I don't think Valentina has been stateside for the last little while. Yeah, well, I'm excited for it. I mean, it's nice to see uh, people really excited about the flyweight division, so that's a good sign. Yeah. Um, Nice to see Charles Jordan getting that fight with uh, Ilya Tapuria. But, uh, yeah, man, how did he jump on that? It's less than a month uh, from his last one. Yeah, it's less than a month and it's a week notice. Like, it's short notice. I was yeah. talking to Jordan and Jordan said basically he's going to come into the fight with some injuries. Like, he's, he says that, but he wanted to take a risk. And he says, like, you know, that's why I'm in the sport. I'm in the sport to fight the best guys. Tapuria is this undefeated guy and I want to test myself against him. It's like, great, more power to you. I think that's an interesting uh, way of, of looking at it. Yeah, and uh, it's tempura you said, like tempuria. the sushi no, tempura. No, no, not tempura. I was like, he. Uh, I remember his. I think watching his last one, very good striker, if I remember right. Very good striker, and very good grappler. I mean, most of his wins are by submission, but his striking is really caught up. I think he's been getting lots of KOs in the UFC, but he's been fighting against like he fought Ryan Hall, so and Damon Jackson, like two really That's good submission. That's the Ryan guys. Hall one, yeah. So um, I think Charles Jordan, Charles has a bit of an advantage here because Topuria would have been training for Movsar Evloev, which is basically training takedown defense because that's what Evloev is going to try to do is take you down and yeah. grind you. Whereas Jordan is a pure striker. Like Jordan's not going to shoot takedowns on Topuria. Yeah, I, I like I'm telling you, Jordan, his, he's awkward. He'll jumping knee you to the face. He'll kick you like he's not scared to go down. So I think he's a tough fight for anybody. And Jordan was kind of saying that to me as well. He's like, he just thinks that from a stylistic standpoint, for Topuria to have to adapt on short notice to a guy that's going to throw all kinds of different looks at him, he thinks that he's got some advantages there. So um, I mean, I'm very interested in that fight. I don't really have a pick on it. I, I didn't want to... I, listen, I like Charles a lot as just a guy, yeah. and as someone to deal with. Me too. Um, 
And I know Topuri is really good, so I just didn't want to go into it with a cl- with clouded clouded glasses. No. no, I just want to go in to be honest and just support Charles. That's yeah. one I won't even touch either. I just want to go and cheer him on as a, as a fan. However, I do like the dog value on Jasmine Jasenvicius, who's making her uh, UFC debut. She's a plus two hundred underdog against Kay Anson. I'll take the value there. Yeah, she's starting off the card, I believe, too, yeah. right? Unless mm-hmm. they changed it. Yeah, no, I, I believe she's the first fight on the card. And I'm just trying to think which. I don't. Uh, I'm just trying to think. I'm, I, I know we have a bunch of Canadians, women that are kind of fake Canadians. I'm going to call them because they live <laughs> in the Robertson states. Robertson and uh, Felicia Spencer. Yeah, like come on. I mean, they're Floridians. Yeah, but, no, that but we'll, we'll claim them. Hey, if they want to have a Canadian flag, sure. Let's say you know. Yeah, we'll take I get it. Have. I'll take it. But who was a born and raised in Ontario female to go that way? Was she one of our first? I mean, Alexis Davis was raised in Port Colborne. Does she count? I mean, yeah, she's been living in California for like 15 years. maybe. No, more. no. I, I mean, look, Jazzy's born and raised here, Still training in Ontario, Ontario. Yeah. BTC fighting, our local grounds, gets her way, Dana Kaufman? White, she's Niagara BC. Falls. Pardon me? Sarah Kaufman is BC. I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, okay. She, she yeah, but I mean, an Ontario girl, too. I'm just trying to think locally, oh, too. From but Ontario. From Ontario, yeah, too. I mean, yeah, Jillian Roberts is from had Niagara any? Falls, but she moved to Florida when she was young. Um, have we ever had any? Yeah, I'm just trying um, to think. Like, question. I think it's some um, big things for Ontario combat scene. Yeah, that's interesting. It's an interesting way of looking at it. Um, I mean, I, we have Belbitsa who trains in Stony Creek, but she's, she's Romanian, Romania. right? Yeah, she's from yeah. Romanian, Romania. Um, yeah, that's good. That's a good question. I don't, I don't really have a ton of examples because I think like, you can to... get so many guys, right? Think about the old school: Mark Hominick, Sam Stout, mm-hmm. Chris Hordesky. Uh, Chris Clements, all those adrenaline guys are all Ontario guys, you know? Yeah. So, Malcolm I mean, it's, we've Ontario had so guy. many. Now, Malcolm, but even here, Antonio Carvalho, we've had, you know, so many. Bocek. Bocek, yeah, the list goes on, right? Yeah. So, uh, what's, what's... Sha- Shaolin, Cam- uh, Shane Campbell, Alex yeah. Ricci, those are all local Ontario, even kickboxers that all went up. So, yeah. Yeah. What's the other guy that I'm uh, – Bruckman. Justin Bruckman's another example, right? So there, there's a lot of uh, – uh, I don't think Bruckman fought UFC, though. Did, he, did he never... Bruckman never make it to UFC? Okay, never No, made. he never did it. And no, what's the – you said Alex Ricci, and then there was the other Ricci, right, that was on the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, Mike Ricci. Mike Ricci is from Montreal. Yeah, he was a tri-star, but yeah. Alex Ricci is uh, a friend yeah. of mine here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very yeah, good. I saw Kickboxer Alex fight too. on the regional scene for the score fighting series back in the day. Yeah, he did he fight Jesse Ronson in that one too that you were at? I don't know. That's the one I went to. No, I was at a different one. I was at a different one. But Jesse yeah. Ronson's another example. Yeah, there you go. Who has a Put fight coming on the up list. in April. That news was broken on that this week by yours truly. Yeah, I saw that. So there, there you go. go. Interesting. Um, some other fights on this card. Here's uh, one of my other plays. Cody Stamen by decision is plus 270 against Saeed Yeah, I've heard a couple people that. What's giving you that feeling? Well, this is the thing. You've seen the last name Nurmagomedov. And you think, like, yes. fantastic <laughs> wrestler. But Saeed yeah. Nurmagomedov's a striker. Like... And when you have a striking-based fighter against Stamen, I think Saeed's going to have a, a good range advantage. Like he's, he's, he's tall, he's lanky, but I think Stamen's going to push him up against the cage and make it a really difficult night at the office for him. Yeah, I mean, I've heard, because uh, I like to follow James Krause, and James Krause is calling Cody Stamen as uh, his pick here. And at plus 155, I mean, I, I think the, the name itself. Prop. I don't think Stamen's getting a finish here. Take the decision prop. It's like plus, one, plus 270. 
Yeah, I like it. I mean, I think you're right. It's the name itself kind of just throws everybody off. I always say if you if the name ends in an OV, be careful because these Russians are coming. So well, the regardless. books figured it out because I was auto betting Said Nurmagomedov by KO in all of his fights because everybody thought he was a wrestler. He was like plus one thousand, plus twelve hundred by KO, and now he's like plus four forty. So like they they figured out that he's the striking Nurmagomedov. They've gotten yeah. sharper. But is it is he related? Is he a cousin? What is he? No, I don't think he's he's a, a, a of they, they would probably call him a cousin, but I don't think he's a, a, a blood relative of Khabib or. Does uh, he train with them? Or Umar? No, he trains is with he Mark a... Henry. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So, again, it's just one of those things you see that last name and you just assume that uh, he's going to wrestle like you all day. Yeah, he's just going to wrestle Stamen all day. Not that Stamen's going to be wrestled all day by somebody. Stamen's like a Division Two wrestler, right? So. Yeah, I did. I've been actually grappling uh, a lot more recently, and I've been using that Dagestani hand grip. So I've been uh, implementing code. some of the the Dagestani <laughs> moves into my grappling game. So, Saeed, you got to add some of that too to it. I would like to see some footage of you grappling. I've never seen you grapple before. No, I'm a strong. I'm, I'm basically a strong wrestler too, because I, I there's not many people stronger than stronger than me. Um, so with not you know, being the strongest guy in the room, it helps. You get better uh, rounds than anything. A lot of newcomers on this card that haven't fought in the UFC before, which is interesting to see. I think, and a lot of them trained with uh, with Brandon Moreno. General Valdez is making his debut. He trains with Moreno. Michael Mike Morales trains with uh, uh, Moreno as well. So we're seeing, and we're seeing some uh, newcomers like Victor Henry's never fought in the UFC before. Jack Della Maddalena is uh, from the Contender Series. He's making his debut against another de- debutante in Pete Rodriguez. So it's just interesting to see. That's going to be a fun fight. Jack Della Maddalena against Pete Rodriguez is like my dark horse fight on this card. And I think I might have lost you, Joe. Are you around, Joe? We'll wait for Joe to. Uh... There he is. I think I hear your voice now. Or I don't. No. There you are. Yeah, I got I'm you, back. Video. All right, you're back. I'm back. Joe's back in the room. Uh, yeah, I was just going to ask you which fights, because um, there's a lot of fighters I don't really know on here, who I should keep an eye on. Uh, Andre Fialio is another uh, uh, debuting fighter, very good fighter, taking on Michelle Pereira on short notice. Uh, Fialio has uh, had a lot of success in the uh, UAE Warriors promotion, uh, also fought in, in PFL and in Bellator and LFA. Like The guy's been everywhere, and he's still, I think, only 27 years old, so... He's, I think, a really good underdog uh, play against Michelle Pereira. This is a guy that's got a lot of experience against high-level opponents. I know it's kind of short notice, but I think that you're getting good value on him at, uh, at in the plus 230, plus 240 range. Really? Even with uh, Pereira's unorthodox, you're going to take him? I yeah. just think Pereira's just so unorthodox to anyone that I think even if he's a dog, I'm picking him. But with Pereira, like even if you take a fight on short notice versus like a full camp, he's still going to be unpredictable, right? So like he, yeah. he kind of goes into it knowing. But I think Pereira, like the, just the odds are too high. I think that Fialio is not getting the respect that he deserves here is all. Yeah. And I mean, even uh, I'm going to say it now because it's been bothering Pereira, the name Pereira, like Alex Pereira, who fought with glory so many years. He went by the name Alex Pereira for decades. Now the UFC is calling him Pereira. Yeah, Pejera is the proper pronunciation. I understand I think, that. I, and I get Michelle it. Pejeja is how you pronounce his Pejeja, but I might be wrong on that too. But I think if anything, you're doing disservice to Alex Pereira, who the world knows him as Pereira. Now, when I hear journalists and people talking Pejera, I'm like, which one? Like, I don't know who they're even talking about. So, I mean, that's my little rant. It's Alex Pereira. That's what he went for for so many years. Don't try to make it all Brazilian friendly now. Well, I'll tell you this. If the last name is Pereira, or per, per, what is it, Pereira? 
Pajera? Is yeah, that if, what If it's going Pajera, through? you're getting an exciting fight, whether it's Michelle or Alex. Yeah, but uh, I like the Pereira better. Come on. It's been, it's been bothering me. I had to get it off my chest. I'd like to see those two guys face each other. That would be fun. Uh, it's different weight class, but yeah, it would but be I fun, mean, right? Listen, Michelle, Michelle Pereira is a middleweight. He just cuts a ton of weight. He's huge. Oh, yeah. He's huge. Well, I mean, for, I've been next to that guy. I've interviewed him before. He's massive for welterweight. Like He's like Usman size welterweight. Even bigger, probably. Yeah, I, I say the same about Pereira because I always said, yeah, 185, that's not too big. I walk around 200. Then you meet Alex Pereira, and he's Alex Pereira is huge. His he's hands are massive. How tall he is. His bone structure is huge. Like, these guys are massive. He's just he wiry, probably though. walks around 215. Like, I, I think that Pereira is the size of a light heavyweight, but he just happens to have a very like lean build. Yeah, and he just doesn't pack on big muscle legs, but they're just strong and dense and sharp knees. Like, it. Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly something to behold when you're interviewing that guy uh, as well. It's, it's sometimes the size can be very deceiving when you interview somebody because some of them are just huge for the weight class. Some of them are very small for the weight class, and I think that makes it all the more impressive that Tristan Connolly was able to get a decision win over Pereira because he's fighting at, at featherweight now. Yeah, and it just once you grapple them, if you can get past that first round and maybe half of the second round, I think you're in in best but best bets. You have to just wrestle him, but he's just so difficult, man. I would hate to fight him. Yeah. I would. It would be a nightmare. Hopefully, Connolly re- recovers from injury soon. But uh, I saw that his uh, his last opponent, uh, Pat Sabatini, is being lined up with Gavin Tucker. That is an amazing fight. I can't wait to watch that one. Two very high fight IQ fighters. Yeah, Sabatini's doing really well, isn't he? Yeah, he's undefeated so far. He's on a big streak, right? Yeah. Looking great. Great matchup. Great matchmaking as well. So shout out to uh, Sean Shelby for that one. I mean, they just keep rolling on now. I mean, I feel like there's fights being booked for May. They're like, oh, a new fight announced. I'm like, May? I'm like, holy, I guess they're on in the beginning of this year, just starting to match everybody up. Everybody's getting excited to get back. And which it looks is like a good we're going to see less fights canceled because the UFC changed their COVID protocol uh, this past week. So I've heard. Yeah, so now fighters that are vaccinated no longer have to quarantine and are not going to be tested during fight week. Um, I don't know if that's going to be the case if they show any sort of symptoms, but um, that's what they're doing. Um, And then for unvaccinated fighters, they're still under the old protocols. Yeah, well, I just heard something that you don't have to, even if you have COVID, you can still go and train or something like that. Well, that's what it would appear is that if... So I don't know. I don't know what they're doing in terms of symptomatic fighters. Like if, if a fighter shows up and their nose is running, like are they going to test them there? But apparently they're only going to test, only going to do pre-flight tests for those that are vaccinated. So interesting, but it certainly will lead to less of these fight day cancellations, fight week cancellations uh, due to COVID protocols. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I think they're going to have to do something with especially with this Omni variant here. Every, everybody's getting it. So you're going to have a lot of canceled cards. But I know guys like I mean, I won't put anyone on blast or anything but i know guys who competed you know recently with the ufc who got it on and off and they didn't even they competed with it so who knows yeah i don't i don't exactly know what the how that's being implemented or anything along those lines so um yeah it's interesting interesting to see i'm trying to think of so the ufc announced that they're going to london england on march 19th that's uh that was originally just you know kind of reported and planned and now it looks like they're going ahead with it so that's uh certainly interesting I think they're expecting that the COVID cases in the UK are, are starting to taper off. Uh, the the Omicron, well, not, not they're thinking that they have tapered off a little bit in the UK. So that I guess they're hoping that things will be a little bit more normal by the time March rolls around. 
Now, are they looking for like a, a Darren Till, get the Ian Garys, get the yep. Patty Pimblets, all of those, all of the the, the, the sus- usual suspects for uh, British Yeah, that would be fun. That would be very fun. The, the, the UK fans are fun. Yeah, oh They're yeah. extremely that, that loud, energetic. Oh yeah, especially if everything's at full capacity, uh, it'd be an exciting one for sure. Another thing I wanted to bring up, Caitlin Chukagian fought out her contract this past weekend. And the interesting thing about that is that she's represented by CAA. And right now the UFC are in a bit of a contentious relationship with CAA. They obviously didn't extend Caitlyn before her last fight. So she's going to be a free agent. Kevin Lee was represented by CAA. They let him go. And he's uh, now signed with Eagle FC. Um, So I don't know if there's kind of a ripple effect with the CAA fighters uh, that are, I guess, having negotiation issues with with Francis, I think, most uh, first and foremost. But whether or not the UFC is not negotiating with a lot of the, the fighters represented by them. I mean, that would be a shame. I mean, to have one fighter kind of uh, ruin it for everyone else. But do you, uh, just part of you think Francis doing this and Francis asking and demanding for more money, him playing hard. If anything, to me, it almost seems like it's a positive thing for the other fighters because you have someone in a big position now kind of opening doors for more money or what's your take on that? Is it is it good what he's doing? Because I think if anything, we kind of want Francis to do well and win and to kind of hardball the UFC for, for more pay maybe, right? I think that that would be good for the fighters, but I think that the adversarial relationship between CAA and Endeavor is playing into this because they were – before Endeavor owned the UFC, CAA and Endeavor were rivals in, in the in the talent representation business, right? So I think that a lot of people are forgetting that there's history there, not just with CAA and um, representing UFC fighters, but also CAA and Endeavor and also CAA and the UFC. Like CAA had, um, if you remember back when the fighters u- were trying to start that union and it was... Um, Cain Velasquez and GSP, yeah. a lot of them were CAA-represented fighters. So there's a lot of history there that a lot of people aren't talking about. But then, on the flip side of this, and I don't mean to... I'm not trying to slag Caitlin Jukagan here, because I think that she could walk backwards into the Bellator Flyweight Championship tomorrow. Like I think that yeah. if, if Bellator signed her and had her fight Juliana Velasquez, Jukagan wins that fight. Um, yeah, yeah. I just don't know what value she brings to the UFC. So if you're going to pay her 75 and 75 or whatever the next contract of hers would be... Is it worth it for the UFC to have a fighter who's won 10 decisions in the UFC that's going to stop new contenders from getting to a championship level because she's kind of the gatekeeper and she's beating everybody else in the division and she's not doing it in exciting fashion? If you're the UFC, you might want her to walk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just crappy to say that because part of you're like, you're doing good. You're winning. That's how you usually get job stability in this world, right? But 100%. I know the sport is entertainment, but I just hope it's not beef that kind of sets her away because she's winning. She does well. People like her, you know, she's pleasant uh, from what I've seen yeah, and for sure. fights well, pure yeah, martial really artist. Fighter. It's just, yeah. she, I don't think she brings to the table what the UFC is necessarily looking for in, in yeah. a top challenger, right? Like, do, are, would you be hungry to see a rematch between her and Shevchenko? No, but you need contenders for Shevchenko. So what are you going to do? Right. So well, what you're going to do is put them against Chukagian and then Chukagian is going to beat them. <laughs> Right? Yeah, like that's true, and then he sets it up. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, but I mean, what does the UFC and Dana? At one point, they didn't want wrestlers, and then there's wrestlers, and then they say they don't want. I've seen Dana White, which is crazy. Some interviews, which scares me, it's like some interviews, like uh, when looking for the fight or the contender series, he'll have someone who's 30, 31, and be like, "Nah, we're not really taking 30 year olds." 
I was like, huh? yeah, but then, and but, then the but next then have, show he's signing yeah. someone yeah, who's not, 36. And yeah, he's like, signing 37 year olds, and then the next show he's like, we're not signing. You're too young. You're 23. Then why have them on the show? Like, if yeah, you're, if you're, you're not too young, sign and then you're too old. Yeah, but what 31's young in the fighting game? We know that's people's prime. Yeah. You know, like why is that too old? Why are you not looking at 31 years? And the next time you're signing a a late 30 year old, like I don't know, they're all over the place I when know. it comes to that. I think that. he's just shooting from the hip. Yeah, it just has to make an excuse for why he's not accepting them, so he says it, but yeah. scary. Yeah, it's interesting. And we've seen people that get big knockouts on you know, the the contender series not get signed and then they get signed elsewhere and they look really good. Like we saw mm-hmm. Brandon Lochname Lochnane, he actually got his win over Bill Algio, who won this past weekend on the contender series, and then he's gone on to the PFL and looked pretty good there for the most part. And then you look at Chris Curtis who had a great knockout on like had a sidekick knockout. Um on the contender series i don't know if sidekick is the proper terminology but uh it was a beautiful knockout and then they didn't sign him and then he went to like all all these other organizations now he's back with the ufc and doing great yeah i mean he just got that lucky opportunity to go back so yeah i mean i have i have no clue what they look for half the time so because i'm trying to get my guys to be like all right what do we have to do what's the 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 mood and after two years of covid here it's like my guys who are UFC potential are now in their 30s so I was like don't be scaring me like that saying stuff like that and if anything I think we need more Canadians in there anyway so maybe he'll let the age slip a little bit yeah I mean well Jasmine's what like 32 33 right like so she just got a really late start in the game yeah uh, I'm excited for her I think she's gonna open a lot of doors hopefully for us in the women's sports because I got a 19 year old uh who uh I'll give it two three three years I'll get three three and a half by the time she's 24 she'll be in the UFC really she's that good yeah She's very good. 19. And she's starting with me. She's already a national team experience in kickboxing. She has one MMA fight in the local Montreal scenes. And just training with me, she's going to be uh, she's gonna be amazing. So watch out for her. What are her strengths? Uh, she's a good striker. She's mixing everything together. And we're just teaching her how to wrestle now a little bit and kind of sharpening up her distance, her skills, her angles. And she trains every day, you know, two, three hours every day. So she's uh, put the discipline in. She's a university student, so she's smart. So, she, yeah, I, have a, I see good potential in her. What weight class is she in? Uh, she would be probably 125, 125. flyweight. And she might go yeah. into 35? Like, is she uh, no, probably no. keep her. I wanted lighter, but uh, she feels like it'd be too much of a cut. But mm-hmm. uh, I think she'd be fine. 125 for sure when she's older. Put some strength and conditioning on her, and then she'll be good. Cool. Awesome. Well, I look forward to uh, two or three years down the line where we're talking about her being That's the it. Making a, making Building them up. I got to do something here to build this uh, Canadian fight scene. Yeah. We're slacking here. Well, let's get kickboxing uh, legalized. How's that sound? I know. Yeah, that's our, our the big joke of the Ontario. And allow, hey, and allow the fighters to fight. train. How about we yeah. allow the fighters to train? That would be good too, yeah. right? That would be fantastic. I mean, my favorite. Oh, so UFC, you can elbow on the ground. You can elbow to the face. You have smaller gloves, less equipment, no amateur leagues Foot to stomps. build these guys in. But kickboxing professionally is illegal. Explain that, please. Are we just that nasty and striking that we're so good that you have to ban our, our kicks to the legs? Like, come on. Well, I thought about you this week when we were talking about Francis and Cyril Gunn coming from France where they just legalized UF, like MMA rather in the last couple of years, um, becoming champions. It's very similar to you in kickboxing where like there was no regional kickboxing for you to compete in and you became yeah. a champion. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, a bunch of us Canadians have. And the crazy thing is there has been no Americans to do it. 
but Canadians have. A bunch of us have. No Canadian. Any American glory? The jacket? only American winner of a pure real belt. Give me I mean, the weight class. Let me see if I can guess it. You won't get it. I don't know. It has to. It's not the male division. Oh, okay. I know who it is then. It's um, uh, what's her it? name? Come on. Uh, yeah, her name. Yeah, let's go. You got that part uh, right. Tiffany Van Soost. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, Look Tiffany. Tiffany won the world title. Look at that. Uh, but no male has done it. But she has, which is good, and she beat a French woman for it uh, Mexican, to get yeah. the title Mexican, as well. Mexican, oh, and it's a Mexican. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, I know my stuff, yeah. Joe. Yeah, there every you now go. And then you, every now and then I uh, I can get my dabble kickboxing in a, facts. Yeah, you're dabbling mind. into kickboxing, which yeah. is good. I'm always dabbling. They actually have Tyrone Spong fighting in Eagle FC. I saw that, yeah. yeah. That's, that's an MMA. Yeah, that's going to be MMA, but that's insane to see Tyrone Kari, Spong Kari, in an MMA Kari glove Kari. hitting somebody. Yeah. That's going to be – they were going to have him face Bigfoot Silva. I don't know how you sanction that fight. I know. I actually called the fight with Bigfoot Silva, I right? Because Bigfoot Silva fought Rico Verhoeven mm-hmm. in China. Another fight so, that probably shouldn't have been sanctioned, but yeah. Should have not. That's why, <laughs> as I said, it was in China. Mm-hmm. It happened in China, not in North America or Europe. All right, so, yeah. Well, I'm going to let you go. I know you have to get going. Uh, I'm really excited to recap UFC 270 with you next week. I think there's going to be a lot to, uh, to, to like about this card. And uh, speaking of a lot to like, a lot to like with this week's UFC uh, sorry, TSN MMA Show Interview Edition. We have Dana White. We did the odds game. The annual odds game is on the, this particular interview. Francis Ngannou, Cyril Ghosn, Brandon Moreno. Um, Stacked. Very fun show. And I think, I think uh, I'm going to try to get joined by Eric Nixick before I get that show out. So that's what hey. the delay is right now. Well, Eric and I are trying to one day hook up and meet. Okay, so cool. tell him I said hi. I will. Well, absolutely. You should go down to Vegas and meet, and meet, meet with him. He's, uh, he's a great guy. Very yeah, interesting I know. coaching background. His, his, he comes from a football coaching background. Yeah, and he's uh, also because uh, we're both connected with Hayabusa as well. So we can probably do some tutorials together, and we'd have some good coaching and good talking. I'd love to be out there. Yeah, one of the really nice guys in the sport, Eric Nixon. But it's really interesting that he came from – like obviously he took martial arts and became you know a high-level martial artist. But um, his coaching background is from watching people in his family coach football. And that's like he kind of takes those same um, – nuances and brings it into the MMA game, which is interesting because football yeah, coaches are obsessed. I can see that. Well, football coaches are probably some of the best coaches. You have to manage how many guys are on a football team, 45, 50 guys on a team. You're in control of you have a, an assistant coach, an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, special teams. You're managing a yeah. whole corporation of people like you're managing a business. So these guys have to be firmed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I've seen the way they film study, the way they coach. They're, they're dedicated. So I can see how uh, that definitely plays in his favor. All right, well, we'll talk about it next week. Very excited about uh, UFC 270. The numbers are starting to just pile up for these uh, UFC pay-per-views. Yeah. But Gon versus Ngannou, we're getting old. An incredibly, incredibly interesting heavyweight matchup. And like I said, bet both sides. There you go. <laughs> All right, thanks, Joe. Appreciate you. And we'll be right, back perfect. next week to recap Wicked, UFC yeah. 270. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.